We have this week and next week are our last weeks in our series through the Apostles' Creed, which you can find in the worship guide. We confess it each week. We are here this week. Uh, we're talking focused on the Holy Catholic Church. So there's this phrase, the Holy Catholic Church. We've said, I believe. I believe in the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints. Last week was a focus on the communion of saints. That is how the call for unity and communion among the people of God uh, plays out a bit in a local congregation. The more, how does it play out in my life in a particular place? And this Sunday, we're focusing a little bit more on the Holy Catholic Church. That is the broad church, the church, the Catholic Church is not the Roman Catholic Church. It's a small C, you'll notice in the Apostles' Creed. That means universal, the universal church, the church around the world, throughout history, all of those who are followers of Jesus from the beginning of the church in Acts chapter 2 to, to now and, and ongoing. So this is a little bit of the big picture of the church. Some of you guys have, uh, have read or seen the movies uh, Harry, about Harry Potter. And um, spo- this is a spoiler alert. Um, you've had a while uh, to read it. But the, the spoiler is there's a scene in, the, it's actually in the first book, so it's, it's an earlier spoiler, that Harry Potter finds out after living a pretty normal life in a, pretty, a very mean family, but a, a pretty normal family, he learns out He's a wizard. So uh, that's the spoiler. Harry Potter is a wizard. And, uh, and there's this moment that he has had all of these kind of crazy things happen in his life. And he learns, oh, wait, there are more people that are, are like, there's a whole world that I wasn't aware of. And I get to go to school and, uh, and learn about uh, the, the world of magic and his experience and all of that, right? Uh, and it's, it's just, it's a, a fantasy. It's not a real story. And... Uh, he, he, you, you kind of love the moment where he finds out, oh my goodness, there's something so much bigger going on that I wasn't aware of. And this is common among a lot of stories, right? So this is Luke Skywalker finding out that uh, there's the whole world of the Force and Jedis, and it's, there's so much more than Tatooine, or it's Katniss Everdeen learning that there are others who are rebelling against President Snow and the Capitol and all of their abuse of power, right? Like, this, is, this happens in lots of stories. You realize there's something bigger out there, right? And, and this is, for us, we confess the church every week. This is a reminder. It's not a revelation. Hey, there's a bigger church than Fountain Square Press, right? That's, that's not happening. But we do need reminders regularly that there's something bigger than our own experience of the church. And, and that's even bigger than any of your experience in any of the churches that you've had, right? Even if you've been in lots of different denominations and churches and experiences, uh, we need to be reminded how big God's story is, and as a result, how big his church is. And it it's really should be quite encouraging to us to find ourselves as a part of that. So we here are finding in Ephesians 2 this, this picture of God bringing together big picture story, right? This work of reconciliation. And so we're going we're to find here, the three points are that there is a big story. It's a bigger story than we often give it credit for. And there's a big church, bigger than we often think, and a big work, bigger than we often realize God's work uh, here. This work of reconciliation that we find here in Ephesians chapter 2. Let, let me pray for us. Lord, I pray that you would, even if it's not a new realization, that you would 
work in our hearts a new understanding of how big the story is that you've called us to be a part of. That we might rejoice in the huge work that you are doing. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, big story. Remember, the, the Old Testament, the New Testament is really the, the Old Testament and the Older Testament. I mean, th- these are uh, both very old stories, and, and they're part one and two of the same story. It's one big story. So we talk about the Bible as the story of creation, fall, redemption, glorification, which is yet to come. And we're living in this time of redemption. That's most of the Bible. But it's all one story that God is working. And so as we come to Ephesians 2, and as Paul is talking about the, the reconciliation that is occurring, the tearing down the walls of hostility, of bringing people together, this is something that is a really, really big deal in light of the story that God has been working. And, and the first thing that we have to realize is the context of the fact that as there's this reference to Israel in verse 12, they would have fully understood that the work that God had been doing for a few millennia at this point was to call a people to himself, and it was Israel. And Israel was supposed to be a blessing to the other nations when, when Israel was first promised to Abraham and the call to Abraham and in Genesis 12, and he calls Abraham and says, I'm going to make you a great nation, like bigger than you can imagine, bigger than uh, the, the stars in the sky, which we, we know are, are, are many, uh, bigger than the sands uh, on the beach, the sands of the seas. This, this is like, he's going to build this amazing nation through him in order that they would be a blessing to the nations. Now, if you've read the Old Testament, they failed, Right? In Sunday school, we're looking in, in judges, and the failure is often spectacular. Spectacular failure. And by spectacular, I mean it is horrific. Uh, the, the, the level of failure of the church. They're, they're not, I mean, of, of Israel, which the church is the new Israel. But here is the reality that God has called this people to himself, and he is, he is seeking to bless the world through this people, and they, they do want to draw people in, but it, the, the promise is to Israel. It is, it is to that is the people of God. They existed as a nation. And, and the Gentiles, particularly here in Ephesus at this church, they were invited into this story. At one point, they were, uh, they were alienated, separated from Israel in, in this story, right? And, and he makes it clear that this, this, as Gentiles, not only were they separated from God and without hope in the world, it says, but that was connected to them being separated from Israel, from the people of God. So this is, again and again, this reminder that we need in this highly individualistic culture as we think about reconciliation itself, often in these very individualistic terms. I'm reconciled to God. I'm reconciled to another person. And here we see this, what's happening here is this reconciliation between peoples. There's a reconciliation between those who were without hope and outside of God's promises that they were allowed to be brought into the people of God. So there's this picture of God working through a people, and it's now no longer just this nation, it is all nations and all peoples. So that, that we're going to see one day, Revelation 7, 9, that there will be people from all tribes and tongues and nations. And it's for everybody. This is new at this point. And it is a really big deal. And we lose sight of that bigness 
of that reality to the story, that God works in this way, that bringing them into relationship with Israel, from whom, verse 12, they were alienated, is this story of reconciliation. So he's not just talking about you as an individual being reconciled to God. He's, being, he's talking about the people of God and the way in which they work. So then this reference to the, Jesus being the cornerstone in verse 20 is a part of the bigger story. We know from Isaiah 28, 16, and Psalm 118, 22, that there's this promise of the rejected stone becoming the cornerstone. And we know from 1 Peter chapter 2 that Jesus is that cornerstone picking up on those passages. Here, he's also referred to as the cornerstone. He is the, the one who was promised in the Old Testament. So this is, again, a part of this bigger story. And now those people who are not his people... He calls his people. This was the hope prophesied in Hosea chapter two, verse 23. And I will have mercy on those who I have had no mercy. And I will say not my people to those who are not my people. I will say you are my people. There is this promise of the hope that is given to those who are outside. We're invited into something bigger. We're invited into God working in in a way that is is beyond not just it's beyond Israel, but it's, it's beyond, we, we, we're, we've moved past that time. We forget how that worked at the time. And we, we tend to think of God and his working and the way the church looks and, and the ways that we've experienced it, right? And, and history has, been, has seen the church existing in this place of really the West. That's, that's our picture of it, right? And so we, we are now seeing the gospel and the church grow exponentially in places outside of our context. And it's a reminder of God's story and how big it is, that he is working across all nations and all peoples. And it is uh, uh, something that we, again, we lose sight of. And it's because we, we live our lives. We're here. This is the people that we know. This is the people that we are associated with, we understand one another, and yet we're reminded that God has been doing this thing for millennia, and we're invited into it. It's a huge, huge story, and his church is central to that. We talked about this last week. Is in, in the previous chapter in Ephesians, we referenced again last week, was Jesus is this one who is, has this amazing power, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the one to come. And he put, that is God, the father put all things under his feet and gave him as head over the church and all this power and all this glory and all this reigning and ruling he has given to the church. The church is, the picture here is it's a big church, Central to God's story, that's the language that we used last week, the centrality of the church, and it is big. The descriptions that we find of the church here are are essentially this connection to Israel, so we talk about it uh, theologically as the church is the new Israel, uh, and it is a fulfillment of the work of God on this earth. We see descriptions of it here, that it is the place where God will dwell, that you are being built together So just the the gathering of the people of God, not just us as individuals, built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. The dwelling place of God. That is what the church is, as we are built up together. Go back just one verse into verse 21. 
Christ Jesus himself is the cornerstone in whom the whole structure, it's reference to the church, being joined together, grows into a holy temple of the Lord. The temple of the Lord, the place where his presence is. This gathering of people together. And it is not just those gathered in one place, it's gathered uh, around the world. One of the things that uh, we talk about sometimes as we uh, introduce the Apostles' Creed is this reminder that we're a part of something bigger because the Apostles' Creed has been around for most of the history of the church. It's been around for over 1,500 years, and the church has confessed it around the world and over, those, over the history, and it is a connection that we have to God's church around the world and throughout history so that we find the churches, all of those who confess these truths. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2, Paul is there writing to the Corinthian church, and he says, this is to the church of God that is in Corinth. So he's talking to a specific local church, but he says, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together, called to be followers of him, specific church, but it's also, they have been called with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. It is this reminder of something bigger going on. We're a part of something much, much bigger. First Peter chapter two, the, the whole chapter is just uh, is powerful in the picture of the church, of the hope that we have as people together and this description of us as a people. A chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is this promise that this is for all for all of those who call on the name of the Lord, that we are this new nation. And the promises to the church are huge. So we see this again as a part of the bigger story. Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. Jesus is talking to the disciples and Peter has just confessed him as the Christ, the son of God. And Jesus says to him, Peter, you are Peter. And on this rock, and I'm not gonna dive deeply into Matthew 16, but I think the rock is the confession that Peter is making on behalf of the disciples, the apostles, that he is confessing Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and Jesus says, on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That is a big promise. That the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And we see that happening because the church and its rise in the first century is, is crazy. It would be, have been totally unexpected. This, I mean, Israel was this small nation. Uh, they didn't really have any power. They, they, they wanted the power to come back, right? They didn't have it. And, and out of this group comes this group of smaller group within that. These people who believe that Jesus was the Christ. And out of that grew the church, which is now growing uh, in massive ways. It has since then and continues to now. It, it would have been completely unexpected. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. I do think it's helpful for us to, to realize that that promise, that the gates of hell will not prevail against it, uh, the, the promise to the church that it would continue is a promise to the, the Catholic church, the universal church, the big church. So it's not a, a promise to Fountain Square Presbyterian Church. It's not a promise to our denomination. 
It is a promise to, to the big church. This is the way that it's playing out for us right now. This is where we're living out church, right? But, uh, but there's a promise that is so much bigger than that. We think, oh, well, this is a promise to our, no. I mean, the churches come and go, but the church is, is continuing and growing uh, in all of these centuries. It's a, a helpful reminder, but also this great promise so what do we do then when this call with unity is thinking about how big the church is to, to recognize the reality that there's, there's maybe at times feels like more division than unity. So we do have to be honest about some of the brokenness, some of the division. Uh, there, a study done by Barna, and I, I can't remember exactly the name of the organization out of Gordon-Conwell that studies church and demographics and those kind of things, they give some numbers uh, that I think are helpful to note. Uh, in 1900, uh, there were, so, you know, 1900 years of the church, at that point, there were 2,000 denominations. And we have fast-tracked uh, the addition of more since then. So in uh, 2000, there were 31,000. And last year, there were about 46,000. And uh, the projection is that by 2050, there will be 64,000. So we think about those things, and it feels like uh, a little bit overwhelming with the division, uh, the the schisms that happen in the church. How do we think about that in in light of this call for being one in Christ? I I think we have to recognize some of the brokenness that exists, Uh, the fact that we, we don't always love each other well, that it we have to say, this is not the way it's supposed to be, that there are effects of the fall that, that would say, this is not the way that it's supposed to be. And at the same time, we would also recognize that there are times when, when splits are actually helping us move toward unity. What, what, do I, what do I mean by that? Well, there's a lot of warning in, in the scripture about avoiding false teaching, we'll say. And so there are churches that at times they, they turn from the gospel. There are places where scripture puts boundaries on who we are as the church. This is actually one of the reasons that we confess the Apostles' Creed, because it says here are some fundamentals that we believe are crucial to the church. The church for all of these centuries has said these things are foundational to who we are. So as we confess, it's both a reminder of what we believe and who we are, but it's also for, for those that would come and visit us, it's like, oh, these are what they believe, right? And this is what the church has believed for, for many years. And there are, at the same time, churches that have said, you know what? We don't believe those things anymore. We don't really think that the Bible, what it says matters, or parts will pick and choose what we believe. We don't think that Jesus really lived on the earth, or we don't think he was born of a virgin, or we don't think that he actually rose from the dead, that these are myths that we tell, like, we would say, the church has said, those, those actually are a, a, a leaving of helpful boundaries that Scripture puts around what the church is. And we do have to have wisdom together with the people. We do have to live in a particular way that we would say, okay, what are those boundaries? How does that play out? One of the things that we talk about, if you've been to our Discovering Fountain Square Press, which is both learn about the church, and if you want to become a member, this is uh, the path that we take, right? And we talk about, we start with, here are the five membership questions. And then we end with, here are what the membership questions are, and here's what they, they're, they're very basic gospel confessions, right? You don't have to believe all of the Presbyterian doctrine. 
And uh, that, that's not a requirement for being a part of our church. It's a believe some very basic truths about the gospel. We do say you do need to believe these things. They, they are, are pretty foundational. So we do draw lines in sometimes helpful ways. So I think it's also helpful to note that in the midst of all of the schisms and division, we also have to recognize that we, we have to live out the church in a particular way with a, with a particular group of people. So even if there were just one denomination across the whole world, we would live out in particular places. If you took James 5 and said, you know, call all the elders when somebody is sick. If we were here in Indianapolis and we were all part of one church, right, call all the elders, we wouldn't actually be able to functionally do that, right? There's too many people. We're going to live out. Even if you've been a part of a really large church before, you, you experience God's people in, in a smaller group, right? Um, it's just logistically the way that things have to play out. So in light of that, so let's just recognize all the division, all of the, it can be overwhelming to think about pursuing unity in that big picture way. How do we do that? How do we pursue unity? Big church-wise, Catholic church. I I think we, we should be asking, what does it look like for us to connect and be connected and unified with the church? And I think it's also helpful for us to know in the midst of that, even big picture, we we have uh, applied some of the same things from last week, Ephesians chapter four, verse two, that we need gentleness and we need patience and we need humility and love. We we have to approach uh, others with those attitudes, with those gospel characteristics, with those uh, fruits of the spirit that we would engage with one another in in that way. There's some specific ways that, that we do it. Uh, if you've been here very long, you, you know that our church name is Presbyterian, but we don't hold, we're Presbyterian, you gotta be, like, it's not something we talk about every week. It's, it's actually, we, we, we chose that name in the beginning because we wanna recognize that we're a part of something bigger. But most people in our church over the years have not had Presbyterian background as they've come in. That, that, that is at the same time, something that does connect us. So we're a part of a larger church. We're connected, I talked last week, we shared about some of, even sometimes the difficulty of being engaged in a larger church and doing the hard work of unity within that. And uh, we're connected to our, our de- denomination at a national level. So regularly, Dan, one of our elders and I are at the annual meeting. But then, we're connected in that way. We also try to connect with other churches and denominations. You, you hear us pray almost every single week for other churches in the neighborhood of other denominations. And, and I've tried over the years to connect with uh, other pastors and leaders and churches in, in our neighborhood, in all kinds of churches, Lutheran and Baptist and Independent and Methodist. And uh, there, there's, there's more, right? So uh, trying to connect and recognize and pray for other churches that they would be proclaiming and living out the gospel and that we would be able to do that together. And we, we want to continue to, to seek to do that. And then we would also recognize that we, we would, in, in humility, say that we have things to learn from others. It's, well, let us not say, and even as we believe that uh, our doctrine is true, we believe, okay, this is what scripture teaches, that we would, with humility, say we could learn from others of different traditions. It's one of the same reasons that we connect to the global church. So not just 
in our neighborhood or even in our state or country, but that we would be connected to the, to the global church. And we have those that we support doing ministry now in New York City to international students. In, uh, in Southeast Asia, we have uh, ministry to orphans. We have ministry in Romania and Australia, and we're connected to folks relationally there. And part of that is to recognize that we're a part of something much bigger, to recognize that we also can learn from them. So uh, one of the examples that I would give is that in, uh, in Romania, we are connected to uh, a number of Hungarian Romanians. And, and the missionaries that we support are with a ministry called Surge. And Surge, formerly World Harvest, they have a discipleship ministry uh, that is a curriculum that's called Sonship. And I don't know if you have heard about Sonship, but a lot of people uh, that I, I've never actually done it, but I've heard a lot of uh, really positive experiences that people have had. This focus on the fact that we are sons and daughters of the king, that we are uh, loved as a part of his family. And one of the things that they, that they did in Romania, particularly with a guy named Leventa Horvath, who is a Hungarian-Romanian. He's preached here before. It's been too long. Hopefully we'll have him back. But uh, Leventa is, uh, is a part of the Hungarian Reformed Church. And he took that curriculum and he said, you know what, I think we have something to offer to this with our Eastern European experience. And they actually uh, a little bit tweaked it. They called it kinship which is they, they were able to bring a focus of, you know what, it's not just that we're individually sons and daughters of the king, we're, we're in relationship with one another. We're kin with one another. There's a kinship in being a part of the family of God. And so we were able to, to hear them talk about and engage those things and learn from them. And it's, so to be clear, mission is not just, hey, let's go, we have all the answers, so let's go serve uh, the Romanians, because we'll, we'll tell them how to do this thing right. No, it's, it's we're in relationship and hopefully we can encourage them and that they could encourage us as well at the same time. And we hope that that's happening with our relationships with the Hinkles in Australia, with the Boaz Project, Michaela, in multiple places now that the, that Boaz is engaged that uh, we're going to be able to learn from and engage Micah as he serves international students at Columbia University in New York City, that all of these things would be these partnerships where we're recognizing God is doing something so much bigger than what we see, and we get to have glimpses of that along the way. One of the ways that you can have those glimpses is KJ and Jolti. They are missionaries that we support in Cluj, Romania. Uh, KJ is uh, an American that we supported first, and then she married a Hungarian-Romanian, Jolti, and they're awesome. We love KJ and Jolti. They're coming this week to uh, Indy. We're not going to be here all week. But they're going to be here. But they're going to be here for a week and a half, two weeks. I don't remember exactly how long. They're going to be here for a while. So we are going to get time with them. Uh, they will be here next Sunday and the following Sunday. And we also are going to have anybody who wants to come next Wednesday night. Right? Next Wednesday night. So not this Wednesday we're not going to be here. The next Wednesday night, uh, over to our house, if you want to spend more time with KJ and Jolte and their kids, uh, it will be encouraging. They'll also be able to be here for the pitch-in, and they'll share uh, about things that are going on. And this is an opportunity to learn from them as they are involved in all kinds of things, working with Hungarians, working with the Roma community uh, outside that live by the dumps outside of the city of Cluj. 
And, and this is a beautiful opportunity to both encourage them and be encouraged by them. To be reminded that the church is, is big, that God is doing a big story well beyond us. And, and the question would be, where can we be connected to that? Where can we learn? Where can we learn about what God is doing in other places uh, in the world? Where can we find uh, hope in that? Even this week, as I was at my grandfather's uh, memorial service in a really great gospel-preaching Anglican church, it's this reminder of God's good beauty and gospel in so many places. The hope of the resurrection preached and proclaimed in that moment. And uh, I hope that we all have those kinds of, uh, of opportunities to, to see God's big church at work. And we do need to, to actually make those happen sometimes because the, the natural thing is, is just to be focused on where we are, which is where we spend most of our church life. It's, it's appropriate that that would be the case. But as we think about this big work, uh, this, this big church that God is doing, it comes because of the big work of Christ. The, the, the differences that we have are brought together we're brought together in unity because of the massive work of Jesus Christ. And, and, and we are Gentiles. I, I don't know everybody in this room, but the majority of people in this room are Gentiles. And so we've always just kind of heard the promises for us. But this would have been a really big deal for them that God would have brought together Israel and Gentiles, Jews and Gentiles together to create one new entity, the church. This was huge, a massive work. So that we would now say, again, God's big picture, the big work, that we would see him working in every nation and every place. So that as we think about the hostility that exists right now in Israel between the Palestinians and uh, the Jews, that we would say we would hope for reconciliation, that we would be praying even specifically that the church would be a presence for that, both among the Palestinian church, and there are many Palestinian Christians, and among the Jewish church, and there are many Jewish Christians as well, that we would have a hope that the church, that the new Israel would be a place of hope in both of those places, in all of the places where there are division. And the promise here is that God is working this kind of reconciliation. Now, we do live in a moment of the already of not and the not yet. That is, God has already come in Christ and brought his kingdom to bear on this earth, but it's not yet fulfilled. And so we live in light of this future promise that we're looking toward. And in the midst of that, we find that God has give us, gives us these promises, that he has brought us near. Verse 13, again, the Gentiles in the room, it's me. He's brought us near to him, to his people. He's broken down, verse 14, the dividing wall of hostility. He reconciles us to God, verse 15, and thereby joins us together. He preaches peace, verse 15, both to those who are far off and to those who are near. And that was true here. Those who were far off from God and those who were a part of the people of God, he preached peace to them. But there's also this picture now that he preaches peace to those who are far off all around the world. There's the hope of the gospel to all of us. And so as he is working, and he is working, this work of reconciliation, because we've been brought near by his blood, by his sacrifice, by the work that he has done for us, we can look to him with hope in the midst of the mess, in the midst of the things that seem overwhelming because he is presently working. Look at verse 21 and 22. In whom the whole structure 
being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. And then in verse 22, in him, you also are being built together. These words, being built together, they're both present, progressive, passive. Present, progressive means they're ongoing. It's happening at the time. It was happening in the Ephesian church. It's happening now. God is doing that work continually. But it's passive because he is the one ultimately doing the work. We get to join in and we get to be a part of it. And we talked last week about there are all kinds of things that flow from this being true. Our own lives, things that we're called to do and be. But here we see that we are invited into a work that he is doing. He is doing this work of reconciliation so that we can have amazing hope. And that we can strive for it even though it seems overwhelming. Even though it seems like we can't see the answers. There's the hope that he is doing something. And he does, as he's doing this big work, the big church, he brings it down to us as well. So in a moment, we're going to taste the bread and taste the wine. And we're going to be reminded that it was for us as individuals too. To be drawn in to the big work that he's doing. Let me pray.